Well, chapter 3, as I talked about this morning, introduces grace in verse 21 and following. And when you look closely at this passage, one of the things I really love about it is the last two verses of chapter 2 in Romans, where he says a true Jew is one who is a Jew inwardly in the heart and not just outwardly, but it's by the Spirit and not by the written code. And one of Paul's key themes in Romans is by the Spirit and not by the written code. In other words, you don't receive a true circumcision of the heart by the law. You receive it from the Holy Spirit. What is circumcision of the heart? Well, Moses said when the Messiah comes, he will circumcise your hearts to the Lord. And Jeremiah said, circumcise your hearts, because all of the people in Judaism were circumcised. But they weren't circumcised in their hearts. You know what a Jew calls an uncircumcised baby? A girl. Well, anyway. Uh, that may be... <laughs> I'm sorry, sneaked up on you, but uh, that automatically made <laughs> that automatically made women second-class citizens. Uh, women could not bear the sign of the covenant, and therefore they became property owned by the men, very much like what goes on in Islam uh, among the Orthodox Jews. Um, and yet he says a real Jew is one who is a Jew inwardly. Well, what about a Christian? Is that true for a Christian? See, what if, what if a Christian has not been immersed? What if a believer in Jesus has not been immersed? Maybe he doesn't know about it. See, we're not his judge. God sees that. And God judges us by the light we have. He's always done that. So a true Christian is one who's a Christian in his heart. His heart belongs to God. And circumcision of the heart by Paul in Colossians 2, 11 and 12 is connected with baptism. He says baptism is the circumcision Christ does to the heart. I don't think he's talking about physical baptism because you don't circumcise the heart in physical baptism. That happens when the Holy Spirit comes in and baptizes you. And every Christian is baptized in the Spirit. Every Christian. Well, here we are in the third chapter, and Paul makes it clear that it's by God's work and not by our work that we're saved. And then he goes into chapter 4. And chapter 4 is an amazing look back at Abraham. Now, if you've read the story of Abraham, you can probably remember what happened in all the chapters back there, chapter 11 all the way up through 23 and beyond. Uh, if it's been a while, then you may not remember. But in chapter 11, God had called Abraham. His name at that time was Abram, which means exalted father. Uh, the name Abraham was God's work. Abraham means uh, the father of a great noise. Isn't that interesting? Father of a great multitude of people. 
and I absolutely think that Abraham's life is a, an example for us because we're just like Abraham. Abraham's family kept idols in the family for years, for generations. Uh, Abraham himself had worshipped idols. There's a story in Jewish lore that uh, his father was an idol maker. And it may be true. We don't know from Scripture. But uh, they, made, uh, they worshipped the sun and the moon in those days. And the main god of the area around Ur of the Chaldees, where Abraham was from, was the moon. And people worshipped the moon. And I think he was one of those. If you go to uh, Joshua chapter 24, Joshua says, Will you worship the gods your fathers worship beyond the river Euphrates? Or will you worship the Lord? Well, that's a good question. Are you going to stick with the old stuff or come to the true, the true God? And so Abraham is called by God when he's in Ur of the Chaldees. We don't know that from Genesis. We know that from Acts chapter 7, verse 4, when Stephen tells us that in his great sermon where he's stoned to death right afterwards. And we'll hope that doesn't hit, happen here tonight, but uh, uh, at least... Uh, uh, Stephen told the truth, and he said, The God of glory called Abraham while he was still living in Ur of the Chaldees. And Ur of the Chaldees is over by Babylon. It's about a thousand miles from the Holy Land. And God told him to take everything he had. Genesis 12, first three verses, I, I require for all my students to memorize. Because it outlines the whole Bible. But it's for Abraham and for us. Listen to what he says. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great. Three I wills. God, his nature speaking. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Here we are in America, thousands and thousands of miles away, thousands of years later, and we are blessed through Abraham. Now, God knew what was going to happen in Abraham's life. But at this point, I think if, if Abraham was anything at all, he was a pantheist. I think he worshipped many, or at least polytheist. He worshipped many gods, or maybe all the gods. But when God spoke to him, something happened. God had found a man whose heart was open. I always wondered why he didn't choose the Chinese, you know, because you got so many more people. Um, but back then, I don't know if you know about Chinese history, but back then, the king of China uh, offered a yearly sacrifice for his and then another one for the sins of his people, very much like the Jews. Uh, their religion and their language goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. The Chinese word for sin is a picture of a tree with two mouths beside it, one above the other, one higher than the other. You get it? The Garden of Eden. A tree, the picture, I mean, here's sin in their picture language. 
a tree with two mouths. Uh, their word for a great ship is a long rectangle with the number eight written above it in Chinese. It's the ark. But that's their word. It's all picture languages. It's fascinating. You can go all the way back to the beginning and uh, they their teaching on the Zodiac came from the Tower of Babel. It's just incredible. They have records that go back 2,500 years or 2,400 years B.C. of all the stuff that happened in the world. They were a unique people. But he didn't choose the Chinese. And I read a book one time many years ago entitled How Odd of God to Choose the Jews. And I like the title. It is odd. These are the most stubborn and rebellious people. And here's an idolater that God chooses. And so in chapter 12, when the call of Abraham is, is put down, the call had happened in Ur. And they moved 500 miles up the Mesopotamian Valley, up, up the Euphrates River, to the city of Haran. And at Haran, his dad died at age 205. Now, you can go back and read the ages of these people. Go back to the fifth chapter of Genesis. If you didn't make it to 900, you didn't have an old, you weren't an old person. Um, I always ask myself, how could a dinosaur that begins in an egg about this big end up being and 20 feet long and weigh 80 tons. And I've read since then that uh, they have no pituitary gland to tell them when to stop growing. All reptiles have no pituitary gland, so they grow as long as they live. They found an alligator that was 23 feet long. They said it was about 130 or 140 years old. You know, you can tell the age by how big they get. So how does something starting out as a football-sized egg get to be 120 feet long and weigh 80 tons? It grew 900 years. So, you know, th these ages are not fake. They're real. There's no other way that it will explain. A scientist can't explain how they get so big unless they live for 900 years. I'm fascinated by that. So here, here Abraham's dad dies at 205. Now, Abraham's only going to make it to 175. And Jacob, his grandson, is going to make it to 140. So the, the ages are going down. God had predicted before the flood that he would cut the human lifespan to 120 years. And I believe if we took care of ourselves and knew what to eat and what not to eat, They've messed with our food supply so bad in this country. 96% of all corn is GMO, uh, you know, manipulated by putting in genes of animals and genes of uh, uh, bacteria to make them more resistant. But we eat that. And last year, I don't know if you read, but 40% of the bees on our continent have died. And I wonder if it's because something's wrong in what they're doing and the bees can't 
digestive stuff. People go out to get honey and pull the inside of the hive out, and it's just all black. Well, there's something wrong somewhere. Now, here's Abraham, 175 years old. Before the flood, they lived 900 years because there was nothing to kill them. No bacteria, virus, or parasite could live outside the ground because the earth has a 1,402-year half-life as far as uh, the magnetic force of the earth. And that means if you go back 1,402 years, the magnetic force is double what it is today. And if you go all the way back to David, it's like eight times what it is today. You go back before Noah, and it's between 16 and 32 times as much electricity in the air as there is today. I just read an article, just read, scientists cannot explain why the magnetic force of the earth has lasted so long. Because they think it's millions of years, but we know better. At least I, I do. I think, it's, I think evolution is a crock. I think we've been sold a bill of goods. You know, they have no proof. They have no real evidence. There was a guy online offering a million dollars to anybody who could give them evidence of evolution. A few people tried. But uh, nobody ever, he never had to pay that off. Um, but these people lived a long time back there, and Abraham, 175 years of it, when he was 75 was when God called him, Scripture says. 75 years old. And God called him in chapter 11 the first time, and then in chapter 12 he calls him again, and then later he calls him again. He appears to Abraham four times in the early part of Abraham's life. And each time Abraham is overwhelmed, he builds an altar, he offers sacrifice to God. He's excited, he realizes now that this God may be even greater than the ones he grew up worshiping. And so most scholars say he was a henotheist, which means he had one God above all the, all the other gods at that point. I think the first true monotheist may have been Moses. So Abraham, chapter 12, he and Lot separate. Now, you heard the call, right? Leave your country, your people, and your father's household. Does he do that? No, he doesn't. He leaves his country, but he takes his father's household and all his people with him. His dad has 318 trained soldiers and all their families, and they travel. And his dad dies, and God calls him a second time. And he still takes everybody with him. Uh, he took Lot, his nephew. Somebody said Abraham and Isaac had a lot in common. Uh, he took Lot, his nephew, with him. And uh, they moved from Haran down into the Holy Land, and God appeared to him again. And each time he would build an altar and be greatly impressed. And finally in chapter 15, God comes to him and says, I want to cut my covenant with you. And when they cut a covenant in the Old Testament, they actually cut the covenant. They took two animals, three years old, and two birds. They sacrificed the birds. They took the animals and cut them in half and split the halves apart. And according to the ancient treaty codes, 
if Don and I made a deal, if we had a meeting of the minds, then what we would do is both of us walk through between the halves of the animals. And that means if he breaks his part of the bargain, I take my sword and cut him in half. If I break my part of the bargain, he cuts me in half. That's binding, okay? A contract or a, a covenant in those days was binding based on the broken bodies of animals. Uh, the book of Hebrews chapter 11 says, our, our covenant with God is based on the broken body of Jesus, that Jesus himself passed through that veil. See, when you look at the story in chapter 15, the first 10 or 12 verses, uh, you can see that Abraham, God, God told him, you're going to have a son. You and Sarah are going to have a son. Now, she's 65 and he's 75. She is barren. She has never produced offspring. God says you're going to have a son. And something turned over in Abraham, and he believed it. And the scripture says in Genesis 15, 6, Abraham believed God, and God thought him righteous. Okay? That's what the book of Romans and Galatians is based on. God thinking us righteous. He counted us. He, the word impute is often used. He imputed righteousness to it. Impute simply means to put something in a person. And so God's mind sees us as righteous people by faith. There's nothing Abraham did so far that was obedient except move. But he was by faith accepted by God. And then they cut the covenant. And in Genesis 15, you expect Abraham and God to walk through between the halves of the animals. But guess what happens? Only God passes through. The flaming torch, which is a symbol for God, him, the Father. The uh, smoking fire pot, which is a symbol for the Holy Spirit. And the broken bodies of the animals are the symbol for Jesus. And so only God passes through. I had to shock Abraham. And what that means to us is that only Jesus passed through. His own flesh, Hebrews says. And so we, the covenant's not based on our faithfulness. It's based on God's faithfulness. And when we are unfaithful, he is faithful. Because he cannot deny himself, Paul said. So faithfulness is, a, is an attribute of God, not of us. We, Jesus, throughout his life, called his disciples apistoi, uh, faithless ones, little faiths, oligopistoi, uh, you little faiths, you, you with little faith, you know, again and again, faithless and little faith. And that's the description of human beings. That's why it was God who passed through with Abraham because he knew Abraham wasn't going to be faithful. And that's why Jesus passed through his own flesh because he knew we wouldn't be faithful. So here he is in chapter 4 of Romans saying, in fact, if Abraham was justified by works, he had something to brag about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Credited means God thought him righteous. He logged him as righteous. 
And then Paul goes on. Go down to uh, verse 9. Is the blessedness of sin being forgiven only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was 24 years before he was circumcised. Circumcision is a sign of the covenant in the Old Testament. Baptism is a sign of the covenant in the New Testament. Abraham was counted righteous by God for 24 years before he was circumcised. The first mention of circumcision is in Genesis 17.10. Well, let me talk about 16. After 15, after God sets up his covenant with Abraham based on God's faithfulness alone, Then in chapter 16 of Genesis, Abraham and Sarah haven't heard from God for 12 years. She still hadn't got pregnant. And even though Abraham is still believing the promise, she comes to him and says, Look, I've already gone through menopause. I can't have any more babies. The time for me is past. So take my handmaid, Hagar. And he takes Hagar into the tent, trying to fulfill the promise of God by the flesh rather than by the spirit. And, of course, Hagar becomes pregnant, and she lords it over Sarah. Sarah, originally her name was Sarai, We have a word for that that I won't repeat, but Sarai means troublemaker. Sarai means contentious. And God changed her name to Sarah, which means princess. And so here is is this woman, this slave woman who is pregnant, who is lording it over her mistress because Sarah has not had a baby. And she's bragging. And Sarah wants to kick her out. She wait a while, and pretty soon the little boy is born, and then she really gets arrogant, uppity, you know, an uppity slave. And uh, Sarah finally goes to Abraham and said, kick her out, kick her out. I don't want her around here. She's driving me crazy. And so Abraham said, do what you want. And she kicked her out. And she took the baby out. The baby was crying for need of water and food. And she laid the baby down under a bush. Remember this story? Chapter 16. And she goes off about a bow shot away where she can't hear the little boy crying. And all of a sudden, an angel shows up and says, Here, have some water. And hit a rock and water gushed out. She went and got her child and came over and gave him some water. And God provided and God said, now go back to your mistress and submit to her. And so she went back. She was actually kicked out twice. And Sarah wanted to kick her out three times. But she went back and submitted. But you know in her heart she was still very prideful because her, her master and, and wife have not been able to have a kid yet. 
I wrote an article not too long ago. It was published by our paper about Abraham having eight sons. Uh, he had two sons early on. The first one, of course, the oldest is Ishmael. And then chapter 17, God comes to Abraham and says, I want you to circumcise yourself and all your male offspring. He had all these hundreds of people in his camp. Now imagine getting that command from God. Today, if you go to the hospital for circumcision as an adult, Abraham was 99 years old. Circumcision would cost you about $2,000 plus the hospital stay. It takes about two weeks to recover from it. And that's with scalpels and anesthetics and all that. They had flint knives back then. Circumcision would have been an extremely painful and long-term healing process. Good thing about flint is bacteria can't adhere to flint. And so they could cut without spreading bacteria. And that's what they did. It was amazing. And uh, imagine circumcising yourself, which Abraham did, and then calling in all the men of your camp and having them circumcised. The Apostle Paul took Titus or Timothy, you remember, and circumcised him because Timothy's mother was a Jew and he didn't want to turn off all the Jews. But when they told him he had to circumcise Titus, who was a Gentile, he adamantly refused. So here's circumcision, the first mention in history of circumcision. No man in a patriarchal society is going to make that up. I know I wouldn't. I can almost see Abraham saying, you want me to what? <laughs> With what? You know. Uh, studies have been done on it. Uh, the book, uh, None of These Diseases, written by two doctors, a grandfather and a grandson. Uh, uh, S.I. McMillan, Dr. S.I. McMillan and uh, Dr. Stern, his grandson, wrote this book. Uh, I, I wish you'd get it and read it. It's one of the most helpful books about circumcision. Uh, part of the book is about that. The title of the book is, uh, as I told you before, and now I can't think of it, None of These Diseases. Thank you. God made the promise over in Exodus, if you obey my word, you will have none of these diseases of the nations around you. You know, God told them, if you have to make number two, ladies, if poo-poo, you know, if you have to go to the bathroom, number two, you go out away from the camp with a shovel, you dig a hole, you go in the hole and cover it. That's God's quarantine. You know, Europe didn't listen. And in the Middle Ages, bubonic plague spread everywhere because they just threw it in the streets. You can't do that. And we're almost as dumb going in our drinking water, but, you know, that's just how it works. Uh, we can clean it, I guess, they tell me. But here is, you know, God had all these quarantine plans for like lepers and so on. So here is circumcision, and they have at least a, a two-week period to recover from that. And after that's over, then in the 18th chapter, God comes to Abraham. My favorite section in his life is Genesis 18. He comes to Abraham as three men. 
Now, later on, two of them are going to go down in Sodom to get Lot out of there. But the one that remains standing with Abraham is Yahweh. And two of them speak, Yahweh and another one speak with Abraham. But the other one never speaks. You know, the Holy Spirit is a shy member of the Trinity. He never speaks on his own. Jesus said he will only tell you about me. That's the Holy Spirit's job, to tell Christians about Jesus, to reveal Jesus to us. So these three men come to Abraham, and he sees them, and he runs out and bows before them and calls them Adonai, which is the Hebrew word for my Lord, the human figure of God. And he takes, him, takes them into his tent and has his wife prepare food. And the three men eat with him. And then one of them says, I'm going to come back to you in one year. And you and Sarah are going to have a son. And both Abraham and Sarah laughed. Sarah was in her tent laughing. And God said to Sarah, why did you laugh? And, of course, here, <laughs> right in the face of God, she lies. Oh, I didn't laugh. And said, yes, you, you laughed. You know. uh, so they named the kid, he laughs, Yitzhak, Isaac. And so here this little boy that's to be born, not even in the world yet, God knows his name. God knows who he's going to be. God has chosen him before he's ever born. And Sarah laughs and says, I'm going to have pleasure in my old age. But the amazing thing is she became pregnant. Uh, what an amazing story. And Abraham is so excited about the son of the promise finally being given through him and Sarah. Now Ishmael at this time is 12 years old. So God hadn't spoken for 24 years to Abraham after he made his covenant with him. You know, to God, 24 years to us is a tremendously long time. I mean, you know, even if you're old, 24 years is a long time. But when God does speak, he renews the promise. They both laugh because they just can't believe it. And uh, then God leaves. Two of them go down into Sodom, and Yahweh remains standing with Abraham and says to Abraham, I'm not going to hide from you, my friend, what I'm going to do. I'm going to destroy the city of Sodom and Gomorrah because their wickedness has reached to the heavens. And Abraham said, but, but what if there are 50 righteous people? And God said, well, if there are 50 righteous people, I'll spare them. God knew how many there were. And he keeps going down until he gets to 10. And God says, okay, if there are 10 righteous people, I will spare them. But when you look at it, there was only one, and he wasn't very righteous. That was Lot, his wife and two daughters. They were engaged. Nobody believed except his family. The, the two fiancés didn't believe that God was going to destroy the place, even though Lot told them and warned them. And finally, they stayed so long that the angels grabbed Lot's hand and his wife's hand, and the, the other angel grabbed the other two girls' hands and took them out. And you know the story if you've read that. 
The Bible is brutally honest about what happens. As they leave the city running, the angels say, don't look back. And they run over the hill, except Lot's wife stopped and was caught by the pyroclastic cloud. I think it was volcanic, volcanic eruption. Uh, and uh, she was turned to a pillar of ash and salt. And when I was in the Dead Sea region, I, I saw probably a hundred pillars of ash and salt about this tall. And I was thinking maybe one of them was Lot's wife. Uh, it's amazing, an amazing story. And then they go to a little town. They ask God's permission if they can go to a little town, and he gave them permission. And they went and lived in a cave just outside of Zoar, this little town. You know the rest of the story? The two girls, one after the other, they said, we don't have any men. We can't have any kids. The only value Jewish women got in those days was having sons. And so they said, let's get dad drunk and take turns. And two nights in a row, they got him drunk. And one of them lay down with him, and he never knew when she got there or when she left. And the next night they got her drunk, got him drunk again, and the second one, the younger one, went in. And they had two, two boys through their dad, uh, offspring of incest, Ammon and Moab. And those two boys became enemies of Israel through all of Israel's life up until the Babylonian invasion, which destroyed both of them. But the tribe of Moab and the tribe of Ammon uh, were real problem people. Offspring of incense, uh, incest, and an amazing thing to me is out of Moab, the younger daughter's offspring of Lot comes Ruth. And Ruth not only has a book named after her, but she is the great-great-grandmother of David, the king. She is in the lineage of Jesus. And God will accept whatever will come to him. I mean, you look back there, you've got a son of a prostitute in the lineage of Jesus. You've got a prostitute in the lineage of Jesus. You've got a woman who played the prostitute and had sex with her father-in-law and got pregnant, Tamar. And then you've got Ruth and Mary, of course, pregnant out of wedlock, which appears to be an embarrassment to the early church, but... There's no reason to be embarrassed because she was a virgin. Amazing, amazing stories. So here is Abraham, and Paul asks the question, is the blessing of faith and forgiveness of sin only for those who are circumcised or for those who are uncircumcised? And he says, for both. Because Abraham had not been circumcised until 24 years after he came to faith and God accepted him as righteous. Now, isn't that amazing? That One of my students wrote a paper. His name is Mark Augustini. It was an excellent paper entitled, The First Jew Was a Gentile. God accepted Abraham when he was a Gentile. And then much later, he was circumcised. And from that point on, circumcision spread through the Jewish race. And even 
Ishmael was circumcised at age 13. And so all the Arab nations today circumcise their males at age 13, which may account for why they're angry all the time. I don't know. But, uh, and then again, maybe not. But uh, <laughs> it's, it's an amazing story, folks. God tells Abraham, I have made you the father of many nations. As soon as Ishmael, or as soon as Isaac is born, and he begged God for Ishmael, and God finally said, "Okay, I'll give him twelve nations too. I'll give him twelve sons." And then Isaac, he and Rebecca, you know that story. She couldn't get pregnant. She was barren for many years, and finally, uh, Isaac prayed. She said, "Give me children, or I'll die." And he prayed. And he said, I am not God. I can't do this. So he asked God, and then pretty soon Rebecca became pregnant. But they were married 20 years before she had a child. And when she became pregnant, she got mad all over again because there was something going on in there. And she finally went and asked God, why does it have to be like this? And he said, there are two nations in your, in your womb. And the older one will serve the younger one. See, God already made the choice before these guys had done anything good or bad. He had chosen Jacob out of Isaac's wife's womb. And, of course, Rebecca remembered that. And when uh, Abraham was going to, or when uh, Isaac was going to bless Esau, she literally pulled the wool over Isaac's eyes put wool on the back of Jacob's neck and wool on the back of his hands and arms and wore Jacob's outfit so his dad would smell his outfit and say, you smell like the great outdoors, you smell like the open field. And he gave him all the great blessings. Jacob, the con man, stole the blessing from his brother. And when his brother planned to kill him, Rebecca again overheard and told him to get out of Dodge, and he headed back up to where Abraham was from. The grandson, kind of like his dad. He made a deal with God. You know that story? It's amazing. He slept with his head on a rock, dreamed of a staircase or a ladder going up into heaven, angels descending and ascending, and God at the top and him at the bottom, and he and God spoke and he made a vow. He said, I will obey you if you will bless me. And God made the deal. I mean, he'll take what he can get. And then Jacob learned about conning people from his wife's father, his uncle Laban. Conned him out of everything. Kept changing his wages. And God kept blessing him anyway. Blessing him and blessing him. And then he married his favorite and ended up being tricked. Woke up. Remember that story? Woke up. She had a veil over her face when they went to bed. And when they got up in the morning, it was Leah. And he was ticked. And he went and said, I said I'd work for Rachel. He said, well, you work seven more years. I'll give you Rachel. But it was two weeks later he married Rachel. And then Rachel couldn't get pregnant. And so she gives her handmaid to Jacob, and then uh, Leah's already had four boys, and Leah gives her handmaid to Jacob. So he's got four women, and three of them continually are producing offspring, 
I think they must have talked to the Polaroid camel, camera people or something, and they just kept cranking them out, you know. Mommy, dip me in the ladder. In the, dip me in the lacquer. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> finally, Jacob and, and Leah, uh, Jacob and Rachel had this big discussion, and, and finally Jacob says, I am, you know, I will do my best. And she becomes pregnant finally. But they were married many years without any offspring. And the first child was Joseph, turned out to be the favorite. And then the second child was Benjamin, though his original name was Ben-Oni. She named him son of my sorrow because she was dying and giving birth to him. And she did die up in Shechem in the center of the Holy Land. And uh, when she died, uh, the name was changed from Ben-Oni, son of my sorrow, to Ben-Yamin, son of the south, or son of my right hand. So Abraham, verse 15, I'm sorry, verse 18, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. God's promise. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened. Notice that passive voice. Was strengthened in his faith. Who strengthened him? God did. But he was strengthened in his faith, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. After the birth of Isaac, we're not told how long after. Chapter 22 of Genesis. We don't know how long after this was. But God came to Abraham in Genesis 22, verse 1, and says, Take your son, your one and only, whom you love, Isaac. It can be translated, your darling son, the one you love. And go to a mountain I will show you, and there offer him as a whole burned offering on that mountaintop. And so they made the trip. In, in Abraham's mind, his son was dead for three days. The trip was three days. He left his slaves at the bottom of the mountain. He held the fire in his hand. He put the wood of the sacrifice on Isaac. And they go up this hill. Now, the hill is called Moriah. And Mount Moriah later became known as Calvary. Does it sound familiar that the son would carry his own wood up the mountain? And he said, Father, here's the fire and here's the wood, but where's the sacrifice? And here's this incredible statement from the faith of Abraham. Yahweh Yireh, the Lord will provide. 
The Lord will see to it. And Isaac took his word and went on up the mountain. When he got to the top of the mountain, he bound Isaac. Imagine, with his hands behind his back, and laid him on the altar where the fire was already started down underneath. And he took the sacrificial dagger and raised it up to plunge it into his neck and rip it to the side so he would bleed into the flames and the flames would roar up and devour his body. And when he raised that knife and leaned over to God could see the intent of his heart, he called him, Abraham, Abraham, don't harm the boy. Now I know you fear me. And he said, he lifted up his eyes, and there in a thicket was a ram. And he went and freed the ram, cut loose his son, took the ram, offered him in the flames. Did you notice that there was a lamb for a boy in that story? And you know later on when they took the blood of a lamb and put it up over the doorpost in Egypt, and Yahweh passed through Egypt, and all the males, firstborn, died except for those with the blood over the door. A lamb for a nation. And 1,500 years later, a lamb for the world. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What an incredible story, the story of Abraham. Now, according to the Scripture, the next chapter in Abraham's life says he married another woman whose name was Keturah, and she had six sons. And one of them was Midian, where Moses later runs. So you've got seven progenitors of the Arab nation and one of the Jewish nation. And to this day, the jealousy and anger and hatred is just palpable between the Arab nations and the Jews. Now I want to stop and see what questions you have, if any, on the, on the life of Abraham or any of the things we've discussed. I think the life of Jacob is probably the biggest transformation of anybody in the Old Testament. Yes, sir. Well, in my opinion, the Chinese people were worshiping God. My allergies. I hate to blow my nose in front of a group of people because you know there's got to be something left hanging. Y'all are just going to laugh and not say anything. Anyway, <laughs> I'm sorry. What was your question again? No, I think the, uh, the, the Chinese people uh, had followed God from the very beginning. Uh, when you look at their language and their history, uh, they're amazing people. Up until about the 14th or 15th century A.D., and then the new kings came in, and they were arrogant, and they quit offering sacrifices. And You can still go to the places and see the places where 
those sacrifices were offered back in the beginning. And that went on for probably 3,000 years or more. So I think they I think they were probably as close to, to God as any nation. And I'm sure there were people elsewhere who still wanted to worship the true God, but they were in ignorance. Uh, like today, you know, people in Africa, uh, people in parts of India have never heard the name of Jesus. But God knows which ones of those would receive the message if they heard it. I had a Jewish friend, good question. I had a Jewish friend uh, named Stu Schlockman from New York. And uh, he moved to Texas. And he told me his story that he uh, grew up a Jew. He never heard the name of Jesus except in cussing. Uh, his mom was the same. Uh, his dad was the same. And when he heard the gospel the first time, he believed it. And then for many months, he attended church and listened and listened and listened and became a full-fledged follower of Jesus, a Messianic Jew. And when I met him, he said, I've got a question for you. He took me out to lunch at a place called Gabriel's, incredible food. And after the, after the lunch, he said, here's my question. My mom grew up just like I did in Jewelry in New York. She had no chance to hear about Jesus. But she was always interested in the truth. And I believe that if she ever heard the message, she would believe it. But she died. Where is my mom? And I said, Stu, I can't answer for sure because I'm not the judge of the universe but my personal opinion is since you received the message as soon as you heard it I believe she would also and God knows what might have been see this is the thing about God he doesn't have to learn stuff he you know like I said in there the other day uh, did it ever occur to you that nothing ever occurred to God you know he's got it all and so I think he could look at her heart and see if she would believe. And I, I would not be surprised if we meet her. But I could be wrong. Because I'm not the judge. Yes, sir. Yes, it does. Romans chapter 2, which we really didn't get into. Yes, sir. Those who do not have the law, who do by nature the things of the law, become a law to themselves and to their people, showing that the law is written on their hearts. Romans 2. And Paul says, those who seek glory, honor, and immortality, God will give them glory, honor, and peace. He's talking about everybody. He's not talking about just Christians or Jews. But anybody who wants the truth, God sees that. You know, David proves to me once and for all that God knows what might have been. When David went and hid among the Philistines, he heard that Saul's whole army was coming after him. And, and uh, Saul's army was going to conquer that city of Philistines unless David was turned over to him. And David asked the Lord, will they turn me over? And the Lord said, yes, they will. And so David left. God knows what might have been. And so, people who have never heard the name of Jesus may still be saved 
by Jesus. But no one gets to the Father except through Jesus. I've known people that, that I, I know if they had heard the gospel. I mean, I've known of them. I know if, if they'd heard the gospel, they would have believed it. But there are, you know, so many of us hear the gospel and don't do much with it. And that's a tragedy in the church. We're like Abraham. We falter. You know, Abraham lied about his wife. Well, kind of a lie. Half-truth. Uh, he said, she's my sister, and... He said, besides, you are kind of my half-sister, you know. I had the same dad, different mom. You know, somebody asked me, uh, where did Cain get his wife? And I said, well, same place uh, all the others got their wives, from their family. Uh, husbands marry, I mean, men marry their sisters. Uh, and it was okay. I mean, when you think about it, Abraham was actually kind of married to himself. You know, because she came out of him, uh, not Abraham, a Adam, uh, you know, the, the other one starts with A, um, sorry, Adam was married to himself. We really stopped to think about it. There wasn't anybody else. You got one family, and according to Genesis 5, uh, Abraham and uh, Sarah, uh, Abraham, here I am again, Adam and Eve had many other sons and daughters. And that being the case, that's who they would marry. But by the time you get down to the law, God says, no more of that. You can't marry any closer than your second cousin. And I think that's the law in the United States is fourth cousin, you know, except in Arkansas. No, I, I, I just, that was a joke. That was a joke. Any other comments or questions? I'm sorry? Yeah, that's, that's not PC. Yeah, that's true. Thank you so much for pointing that out. Yeah. If a man divorces his wife in Arkansas, are they still considered brother and sister? Uh, isn't that awful? Isn't that awful? You know, they do it about Oklahoma, too, or Texas, or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Okay. Okay. He doesn't see it. Mm -hmm. We have to say that people who have not been immersed and yet are believers and followers of Jesus, we have to say they're our brothers and sisters. Now, I would say brothers and sisters in embryo. In other words, they need to be Jesus' statement about born of the water and of the Spirit um, is, is a statement about physical birth being like spiritual birth. It's a parallel that goes all the way through. And some people get it out of order. And some people don't get it exactly right. But, you know, I was asked by a, an Episcopal priest one time, the right Reverend Robert Ripson. Uh, I called him Bob. But anyway... Uh, he asked me one time, uh, do you believe people have to be immersed to be saved? And uh, I said, well, I did. 
because I understood it. And he said, well, I'm not going to sprinkle any more babies. He read my article on baptism and said, I'm not going to sprinkle any more babies unless the church makes me do it because I think it's for adults. And I said, are you going to still sprinkle them? And he said, he said, I don't think God cares how much water is applied because the water is the symbol anyway. The reality is in here. Well, I didn't like what he said, but I couldn't agree, couldn't disagree with him. I mean, I don't know how to get a hold of that argument. For me, immersion is the only way. But for people who don't understand that or see that, God looks at their heart and he determines, he judges them. I believe we're judged by the light we have. I think scripture teaches that. And people out there in the jungle or in India or someplace who don't have light will be judged by what they know. Uh-huh. Wow. Mm -hmm. 2,000 people. Oh, yeah, that's one of the biggest arguments. That my mom and dad were lost or were wrong if I, if I go through immersion. Yeah, we had seven young men come to DCC years ago who were out of a Prince of Peace Lutheran church. And uh, one of them had been immersed before he came. Five of them were immersed while they were in, in school. One of them, after school in October, his name's Tobin Simank, not too many of those around, and Tobin called me and said, guess what I did? And I said, you got yourself baptized. He said, how did you know? I said, I knew you had come to that in your own conclusion, but you didn't want to harm the, the people in the Lutheran church. And he said, well, I did it as a, in a private ceremony. With, and he got a Methodist minister to immerse him. <laughs> Listen, there, there's a Methodist church in Sherman, that I've been talking to about joining with our church, they immerse. The only difference between the two of us is that they don't have communion every Sunday. You know, it depends on who the preacher is, how much he studies the Bible. Yeah. I, my family, some of my, my wife's family came from uh, the Nazarene church, and they give you a choice of sprinkling, pouring, or immersion. And they don't teach you about any of it. They just give you a choice. And there are people who come forward and they're immersed, and others who come forward and are sprinkled or have the water poured over them. You know, who's to say, how could God say, well, you're saved, but you're not, even if they believe in Jesus? According to Scripture, faith is the thing, the absolute, without which you can't be a Christian. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they, 
It's like the Jews giving circumcision. They connect baptism and circumcision, and they want to do it when the child is young. The Catholic Church believes that if you don't baptize a child when he's young and he dies, he'll go to hell. That's Augustine, Augustine's teaching. Uh, yeah, but that's later. Mm-hmm. Age 12 or 13. Confirmation. And that that's when they express their faith in Christ. So, you know, even though they got it out of order, their hearts are still in communion with God. And, you know, these are people who follow God. I can never condemn somebody who's a believer in Jesus. Well, I wouldn't worry about it. I mean... Find him something to read. Maybe I'll, I can send you my article. Give me your my 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 email, by the way. If any of you want to contact me, if you don't, this is still my email. Uh, M Barrier, and that's spelled with an E, B E R R I E R. M Barrier at Dallas dot edu. Dallas dot edu is our website at Dallas Christian College. And anything, any question you have, or if you want to deal with something privately, or you want to write me, I'd love to do that. And I will try to send you my baptism article. Maybe you can just leave it on a table in his house. Okay. Yes, ma'am. There it is. Why would Jesus be baptized? Yeah. I mean, oh yeah, I mean, it's actually onomatopoetic. It sounds like what it is, bopst. Sounds like something going underwater, and that's what it means. Yes, it does. It means overwhelmed. The, the obviously correct way is immersion. But the question is, does the Holy Spirit work only in the form that we use, or will he go beyond that? And my personal opinion is he, he will, I hope. That's true. Passing through the water. Yeah. And then you've got Second Peter 3, 5, which says that God created the universe out of water and by means of water. And he connects all creative acts through water. Israel crossing the Red Sea. Israel crossing the Jordan. You know, all the things that God makes new, he makes through water. Water's an incredible... Sometime we'll talk about that. I wrote an article that was published about water. It's just one of the most fascinating things in the world. They call it the maverick compound. Because it's the only thing in nature that doesn't act according to its molecular weight. If it did, it would be solid... Uh, I mean, it would be gas until it got to 142 degrees below zero Fahrenheit. And then for six degrees, it would be liquid. And then from then on down, it would be solid. But for some reason, water doesn't obey the rules. And, and the spirit and the water are always connected. The spirit doesn't obey the rules either. Spirit makes the rules. So you got these connected all the way through Scripture, starting in Genesis 1, verse 2. The spirit brooding over the waters. Yes, sir. Well, that was a long time ago. <laughs> 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 a little humor there. 
Yes. You do what you can do. Um, it does. Yeah, that's your go in as a horse thief and come out as a horse thief unless your heart's changed. Yeah, the heart has to be baptized. The heart has to be circumcised. Are we out of time? We're out of time. Thank you all so much. I love it. And save your questions. We'll we got three more nights, and uh, I'll try to uh, wax the elephant. You know, a couple more nights here, and we'll have some discussion.